copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 7. Grace comes to the Gentiles. And we should be happy about that because we're all Gentiles. I don't think any of you are Jewish. If, if you are, I'm sorry. Um, I'd love to know that. But grace comes to the Gentiles. And last week, we were looking at the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile, and we saw Jesus put her faith on display. I mean, it was just glorious to, to see what Jesus did to set up the fact that she had faith. She, didn't, she would not be denied her audience with Jesus. And it was a sign of redemption that had come or was coming to the Gentiles. So now Jesus is going to carry his message a little further along, a little deeper into the Gentile lands. And this is a one-point sermon, which my professor in seminary said, if you're going to have a sermon, at least have one point. Have a point. And uh, so we have one point this morning because I think it's just, it's just one message we need to get out of this. So let's read the passage together, starting with verse 31 of chapter 7. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for what a great revelation this is. It's a small set of verses. It seems incidental sometimes when you're reading the entire book, but it's so important to our hearts, our souls, and your grace. May we see it this morning and take to heart written, what's written in it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So some of you may remember when electricity first showed up at your house. Or maybe when water from the city finally showed up and you were able to have running water. I don't know. I, I, I had all that stuff. I remember when the road outside my house, the, the main road in front of my house, got paved. It was a gravel road for most of my childhood. But when it got paved, man, could we ride our bikes so, so much easier. That kind of excitement is, is what this is for the Gentiles and should be for us. Those things didn't have to happen. You didn't have to have electricity. You'd been surviving, some people had been surviving for centuries without electricity or running water even. Those things didn't have to happen, but they did. And just like Jesus brings grace to the Gentiles, it didn't have to happen, but it did. So Jesus visits some Gentile lands, and I'll talk about where he's going in a minute, preaching his message and shedding grace as he goes. And he does this to a deaf and mute person specifically in this story. So grace from Christ flows to everyone. And to fulfill God's prophecies, it flows to the Gentiles. 
So how does Christ, how does Christ fill up Isaiah's prophecies? Because there's a lot of prophecy filled in this one incident. Well, how does it fill up Isaiah's prophecies with a deaf, mute man? Well, I'll show you. Jesus intentionally visits the Gentiles and dispenses grace on them. And let's go with Jesus in this trek. Jesus takes a messianic trip. I mean, that's the only reason he goes into these regions. I'm going to read the passage again from start to finish because I want you to understand it all. And we'll talk about it as we go. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus travels kind of in a circuitous route. He's in Tyre on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, northwest of Galilee and Capernaum and Sea of Galilee, where he's been primarily through the whole book of Mark. But he takes off from Tyre where he healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, goes up to Sidon, which is almost due north of him, circles back by the east side of the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis, which is a basically a region of 10 cities that Rome allowed to stay as the cities they were, but they were obviously governed by Rome. So you've heard of Decapolis before, and I'll point that out a little bit later. But it's not as important if you don't understand the geography, but to understand the geography testifies that Jesus went into Gentile lands. Jewish, these are not Jewish occupied lands. There may be some Jews there, but it's mostly Gentiles. And why is Gentiles important? Well, the Jews didn't like them. And God had separated the Jews from the Gentiles in the way he brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land, but not so they would stay separate, but so that they could minister God's grace to the the rest of the world. And so last week, Jesus points out to the Syrophoenician woman that it's not right to take the bread from the children's table, which implies don't take the the gospel message, don't take the good news that I'm preaching from the Jews. But she convinces Jesus, and actually he was already convinced, this faith that she had now promotes Jesus to go into more regions and feed them. He moves into their life and their culture to share the gospel with them. So that's why the geography is important. And that's why it's to understand he's not in familiar territory as far as a Jew goes. Matter of fact, most Jews would not go outside of Galilee or Palestine because they were afraid of getting unclean. So he goes into these regions, and when the people see him, immediately they bring a deaf, mute man to him. Sort of like the Syrophoenician woman. They knew it's time to bring somebody to this this guy. So we're assuming this is down in the Decapolis, down where... The, the, the ten cities are. And the reason you should remember the Decapolis is because that's where, that's where the man was healed of the legion of demons in Mark chapter 5. The demoniac, the one in the, in the cemetery that could not be chained, was healed there. <clears throat> and Jesus said, you can't go with me, but go back throughout that region and tell everybody what God has done for you. 
So that's why the Decapolis is familiar, and that's why everybody knows who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. So they bring a deaf-mute man to him, and their intentions were for Jesus to touch the man, to put his hands on the man, to do whatever Jesus needed to do to heal him. They were asking for that. They were begging for that. Now, this man was probably not deaf from birth. He had probably lost his hearing as a young, young child, which probably contributed to the fact that he couldn't talk very clearly. He had not learned to articulate words. Now, to us today, that seems a little odd why he still can't talk, because we have speech therapy now. Deaf people can talk, but not back then. So his tongue was hindered, is the way Mark would describe it. His tongue was tied down in a sense. So why did Jesus come to this region in the first place? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let's turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, because Matthew records a little more of a God's eye view or a bird's eye view of why Jesus is in these regions. Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. He records from a more general look at it. He doesn't record the the healing of the deaf man, but he records kind of why Jesus is there and what went on. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29 through 31. Here's what Matthew writes about this trip. Moving on from there, Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat there, and large crowds came to him, including the lame, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. They put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd was amazed when they saw those unable to speak talking. The crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they gave glory to the God of Israel. Matthew uses that phrase, the God of Israel, intentionally, because that means the Gentiles had no clue about the God of Israel. They had never come in contact directly with the God of Israel. They knew that Israel had a single God, which was foreign to them. Most most other nations and countries and peoples back then had multiple gods. Israel had one. So that's why Matthew uses that term, and that's why they're there. They brought all these people with infirmities to Jesus, and he healed them. These afflictions they had, he healed them. He helped them. He handed out mercy. That's what our Savior does. Now back to our story in verse 33. We see here that he took the man away from the crowd privately. He separates the man from the crowd. We see Jesus do this many times, and so you're going to know why. Well, I'm glad you asked. Why is because Jesus, I think, wants to give this guy one-on-one attention. I mean, think of it. How many times has this man been able to get one-on-one attention from anybody? Because he was deaf and he didn't talk. So he was always kind of probably an outcast or some sort of, you know, somebody thought he may have even been possessed by a demon, but he wasn't. He wanted to give this man his full attention. Plus, he wanted this man to give Jesus his full attention. Okay? So he pulls him away from the crowd, gets privately with him, and, and, and begins to communicate with him, believe it or not. So now you ask, why the unusual signs? Why the unusual gestures? Well, again, I'm glad you asked. There's many speculations out there as to why Jesus stuck his fingers in the man's ears or why he spit on his finger and touched his tongue. There's a lot of speculations out there. But I think we can probably chalk it up to the fact that he's using some sort of primitive sign language. 
I don't even think they had official sign language. But the one thing we need to remember from this is no matter what Jesus did with his hands or with his spit or anything, he didn't have to do that to heal. That's the one thing you can carry away from that. He didn't have to do any of that to heal this man. I mean, he had just healed a Phoenician daughter, a Syrophoenician woman's daughter, just by saying, the demon's gone. See, it's what Jesus says that's important. Not what he necessarily does with his hands or his gestures. But anyway, he's using a primitive form of sign language. First of all, he's got this man's attention. Of course, if you're a deaf person, you're always looking at someone in the eyes. You're not looking around and hearing them talk. You want to see if you can read their lips and understand what they're saying. So he's got this man's attention. And for me, for someone to reach up and touch my ears would drive me absolutely bonkers. It would, like, what are you doing? But for him, he, he took it as Jesus is pointing to my ears. Some people think Jesus was trying to show him that he was going to unstop his ears. I don't know if that's what he was doing, but he was pointing to his ears to communicate to him, I'm about to do something about your ears. And then you're going to probably think this is gross because of being in the COVID era that we're in, but spit, saliva, was thought to be medicinal in pagan cultures back then. And it, thought, it was thought to carry the power of the person who had spit. So we think it's gross, and it is, and it carries all kinds of germs with it. But they saw it as medicinal. So spitting on his hand and touching the man's tongue was telling him, I've got medicine for your tongue. I've got something that will heal you, something that will help you. Now, as a sidebar on this whole spitting, touching, fingers thing. Jesus used a lot of different ways like that to portray that he was doing something. But the thing we got to remember is he doesn't have to do those things to heal someone. He doesn't have to do it. And I think he would do these things partly to confuse people who were trying to imitate him, partly to confuse and mess up the message of people trying to fake Jesus. Remember, Jesus tells his followers there'll be a lot of false Christ come. Well, I think there were even people back then trying to imitate Jesus. And so one time he would touch the ears, and the next time he would just speak, and the next time he would make mud, and the, you know all those kind of things. I think Jesus was just camouflaging what he was doing and, and showing the fact that it's not any of this stuff that heals. He camouflaged his healing for those who had eyes to see and ears to hear, for those who would understand that it wasn't Jesus's actions or gestures it was from the grace of God the grace of God alone is what heals them and the real indications to me when you read these accounts of Jesus healing some the real indications of healing is when he sighs he's praying probably when he looks up to heaven he's looking to his father I think those are the real indications that something great's about to happen so in this story, we're back to verse 34. In this story, he does those things, and the real signs are, or the signs are accompanied by the real command. Be opened. Ifafa. It's Aramaic for be opened. Now, why would Mark record this word? Well, I explained this when we talked about an Aramaic word he recorded earlier. You're actually, when you say that, you're actually speaking the language Jesus spoke. Say it. Ifafa. Ifafa. You're saying be opened. And Jesus used this word not just to open the man's ears physically or his tongue physically, but to open his eyes and his ears and his tongue spiritually. 
Why would he choose that word? Because he's opening the man's eyes and he's opening the eyes of the Gentiles who will witness it around him. He says, Ephatha. And instantly that man can hear. Can you imagine that? The first time you hear a bird, first time you hear anything, people's feet scruffling on the ground, people walking around, people talking over in the crowd that he wasn't in. Man, you think that was pretty exciting for him? You think he might have hugged Jesus? I'm thinking he hugged Jesus, and I'm sure Jesus hugged him back. A miracle of grace happened right there. A miracle of grace, his, his ears were open, and on top of that, he not only could just make sounds, because he never really learned to speak, he could speak clearly, which was another miracle. He not only knew how to speak, he could speak clearly. He didn't just learn then how to make noise with his vocal cords. He could use language that he had never really ever heard. It's a great miracle. There's no stuttering after Jesus is done with you, is there? He didn't stutter. And it's all of grace. It's all of grace. I mean, Jesus didn't even test his faith at all. He just took him aside, did a few gestures, and then healed him. He didn't test his faith. And you know what? Jesus didn't have to heal this guy or any of the other people in the Gentiles. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He did. He made grace available to all of them. He healed by grace alone. He gave the Gentiles the same signs he was giving the Jews. And they accepted it better than a lot of the Jews. So in verse 36 now, Jesus orders them, don't tell anybody, shh, be quiet, keep it a secret. And you're like, why? I mean, today sometimes we have, have a miracle happen. Someone gets healed, someone gets something miraculous done in their, in their physical bodies or even just something else miraculous happens and we want to tell everybody, which is a good thing. But Jesus has got another mission here. He orders them to be quiet because like the other times before, he wants to keep Herod, he wants to keep Rome, he wants to keep the Pharisees at arm's length right now. It's not his time. It's not his mission right now. Plus, he also, for the crowd's sake, wants to keep them from all of a sudden deciding, well, we have a new king. We're going to elevate Jesus. And an insurrection starts, and the Roman soldiers come in and kill a bunch of people to settle the insurrection. So Jesus is doing it for the crowd as well as for his mission. Because his mission is to go to the cross at, at a particular point in time to provide salvation. So now you will, will, will back in Mark 5, Pastor, he told him to go tell everybody. Well, Jesus didn't stick around, right? He got in the boat and he left. So this man went around and brought glory to God by telling about this miracle. It wasn't as big a deal right then because it wasn't getting as much attention from Herod or the Romans. It wouldn't have created a following because Jesus wasn't there to follow. So hopefully that's what the demoniac went and did, and I think he did. But right now, Jesus' popularity is bringing some unwanted attention from all the authorities. And then at the end of this, we see a great testimony from the Gentiles. <laughs> they were extremely astonished. Now, the Greek word that we use, that, we, that is here, that's translated extremely astonished, only occurs one time in the entire New Testament. And it means so incomprehensible, it blew their minds. You could put all kinds of things with it. It's, it's almost indescribable how astonished and amazed they were. 
Their minds were literally blown. They could not comprehend a man having this kind of power. And then they spoke and, and declared, he has done everything well. Now these Gentiles spoke from a lot of ignorance. They, they had not been to Jew, Jew school. They would not been to Judaism school. They had nothing to compare Jesus to, really. Their idols did nothing. They, did, they didn't say, well, his, his miracles are better than this God or that idol or that idol. All the rituals that they'd probably done in their lives to try to help this deaf man here, none of them came to, to pass. So they really didn't have anything to compare what Jesus had done. He does everything well. But it is a proclamation. It is a part proclamation about who Jesus is and what he's done. He's divine. He's the God-man. He's the incarnate Son of God. But then the last part is probably the most amazing. It should be amazing because we're going to see it connect to a prophecy. So the last part even is, is, is amazing. He says, he even, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And it's interesting that these Gentiles use those words because it's amazing that they use words that are actually in the book of Isaiah. Mark records this particular phraseology from these Gentiles to capture a fulfillment of prophecy, a fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah, a fulfillment that says the Messiah is here. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 29. If you would like, turn there to chapter 29 of Isaiah. We're going to show you, I'm going to show you these prophecies that Jesus is fulfilling, not among the Jews, but among the Gentiles. Isaiah 29, verse 18. Isaiah 29, verse 18. Isaiah writes, on that day, the deaf will hear the words of a document and out of a deep darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Now turn over to Isaiah 35, verses 3, verse 3. Isaiah 35, verse 3. This one's even the, the more amazing part because when they translated the Old Testament into the Greek language, they used the exact same word here in Isaiah 35 that, they had, that Mark used in chapter 7, verse 37. I'm going to read some context here for you. So Isaiah chapter 35, we're going to read verses 3 through 6. And in the midst of Isaiah prophesying and telling him about coming back from the exiles, he's also talking about the Messiah. They said to him, oops, I'm on the wrong chapter. They didn't say to him. He said to them, 35, strengthen the weak hands and steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's an important prophecy about what's going to happen when the Messiah shows up. And here it is happening among the Gentiles. 
Isaiah proclaims a clear marker for knowing if the Messiah has arrived. The Messiah that the Jews have looked for and longed for for 600 years or more. These Gentiles are speaking this prophecy. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're doing it unknowingly. None of them have studied the Torah. None of them have read Isaiah, probably. But they're speaking the very words of Isaiah, and it's pointing directly to the Jews' Messiah. So now why is this important in Mark? Well, remember, Mark wrote this account of Jesus' ministry for primarily Gentiles, which is why it's got a lot less details about Jewish stuff in it than the other Gospels do. But he wrote for Gentile readers, but he also was read by Jews. And when the Gentiles and the Jews read this and, and they see this and it's pointed out to them, they see the supernatural fulfillment of the prophecy, of the messianic prophecy witnessed here. God's grace is shed on these Gentiles in a healing of a deaf man, and it reveals the most glorious event in human history to that date, the coming of the Messiah. Now, we, we kind of have trouble sometimes getting excited about that, but think of it if all of a sudden you saw a sign that was definitely pointing to the fact that Jesus is about to return. Whew, well, we'd probably get pretty excited. So they were getting excited. The most glorious event in human history, Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Christ, the Holy One of Israel, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what it was telling them. That's what it's telling us. And, and, and this fulfillment of this prophecy makes it extremely clear. And that is why it was a, a messianic road trip that Jesus took through the Gentiles. He didn't go there just to heal this man. He went there to shed grace, the grace of salvation on the Gentiles. The trek, the miracles, they were for one purpose, to bring glory to God in his Messiah. And like I said, these prophecies fulfilled should be exciting news for the Gentiles, I mean the Jews, but... They're not seeing it because Jesus is in the Gentile land fulfilling it. Paul tells the Gentile Corinthians how wondrous this mystery is. In 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 9, he says, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom about Jesus because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. These things are grace, hope, and eternal life in Jesus Christ. So this morning, you know, we need to ask ourselves after reading a passage like this, so what, is, what does this profound revelation mean to us? How does this prophetic connection come to us and, and, and help us? Well, understand this, first of all, your salvation depends on it. Your salvation depends on this. The validity of our Savior. If he had failed to fulfill every prophecy in the Old Testament, he wouldn't be our Messiah. He wouldn't be our Savior. The validity of our Savior rides on revelations like this. The gospel is true because of these. The gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ came and lived. And then he was killed. He was murdered wrongly, but it was for our sins. But he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. And faith in him grants us access to heaven. That's the gospel. 
So we need to remember this. Remember, remember this prophecy being fulfilled. To hold it dear as we recall the very day of our conversion. Think back to when you were converted. Think back to when you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. When you knew that he was the Messiah. He has done all things well. He awakened our souls to the sense of our peril. The sense of the fact that we were going to hell. He called us from darkness into marvelous light. He even makes the deaf hear. The light of the world showed us our weakness. He did. He showed you your weakness. He showed me my guilt. He showed me where I was headed, the folly of my life, the doom of my life was coming. And he stripped us of all of our idols and all of our worldly ways, selfish ways, to show us a better way. He fed us the bread of life, giving us a new place, a new heart, and a new life. He even makes the mute speak. How great the mercy of our God and King. It is amazing. And sometimes we kind of troll through life taking it all for granted. How great the mercy of our God and King. Jesus made a deliberate effort to carry this grace, mercy, salvation to the Gentiles. You know, he could have stayed in the Jewish territory and waited and let the disciples do this after his ascension. But he made a specific deliberate trip into these regions to carry one message and one message only. Grace of God is here. And so here's the real lesson in this whole passage. And I want you to get this if you get nothing else. It's not a, a, a deaf man gets healed or a mute man can speak. And, and it's not the funny way Jesus goes about healing him. The lesson, the real lesson is that Jesus brought Jehovah's grace to a people who knew nothing at all about Jehovah's grace, about the love and the hope and the grace that is in our God. That's the real lesson. Jesus brought the grace of God to a people who had no idea it even existed. And because of that, because of that ministry, we today can be saved from hell by the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't overlook these kind of stories and just go, well, that's a nice thing for that guy to get his, his ears healed. It's really about what God's done for us. It's got longer impact than that. It fulfills prophecy. We need to see the wonderful revelations of that prophecy. You know, because Jesus also made a prophecy. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. And one day he will come back and take us there. So in, in this world we're living in now, I just encourage you to, to lift up your head above the waves and look to the Savior. Look to the good things that Jesus has given us, the grace, the magnificent grace of our Father who gave us a salvation. Whatever's going on in this world isn't going to matter 100 years from now. But the grace of Jesus Christ will. Your life is totally different today because Jesus visited some Gentile towns 2,000 years ago. Praise God. Praise God that grace sent Jesus into non-Jewish lands because he did have a deaf man to heal, but he also had a prophecy to fulfill. And as we prepare for our time of pastoral prayer right now, I, I want to remind you, Amazing Grace, we sing it so many times. It is sweet. 
It is sweet to our ears, but we may have forgotten how amazing it really is. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Worship the God who bestowed so great a salvation on us that his son suffered for it. We're going to take some time now for Pastor.